We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You are listening to KC Sports Network, the number one podcast network for today's Kansas City sports fans. With former players from your favorite teams, informed perspectives, and former insiders, this is the place for you. KC Sports Network is proudly presented by Emprise Bank, your partner in Possible. Welcome back in to another episode of the Royals Farm Report podcast. My name is Alex Duvall. I am joined, as always, tonight. By Joel. Hey, I'm Joel Penfield, and this is One Royal Way. No, sir. This is, <laughs> what is this? This is, is a mashup. It's a gigantic mega end of season episode tonight. It's a monster mash. It's a monster mash, but you know what we have in common, Joseph? This show, sponsor is always by Kansas City Strength and Conditioning. Let's hear a quick word from them. From the beginning, we knew right away that we wanted to do strength conditioning and a throwing program for the baseball and softball community. It wasn't something we were trying to back into or all of a sudden learn. We knew we were really good at these coaching these skills from the get-go and the fact that we're in the same business and the employees are all on the same page you know we can write a program based off of what a kid needs not just getting him stronger or faster from a general sense it's what does this kid need on the pitching end we can say hey this kid needs such and such he needs to do this or that better a lot of times it turns out it's not something that needs to be fixed in the baseball cage or on the throwing mound it actually needs to be fixed in the weight room Jam Sandwich by Kansas City Strength and Conditioning, as always. What's going on? Josh Kaiser, Joel Penfield, Alex Duvall, joined tonight by Jacob Milham at Ham, host of the Royals Rundown podcast. The season is over. It has come to a merciful end. We no longer, the, Roy, the 2022 Royals, I don't remember who tweeted this today, can no longer hurt us. They are in the past. <laughs> It can't hurt us anymore. It's gone. It's over with. Gentlemen, welcome in to this KCSN Royals mashup. We've got one Royal Way. We've got Royals Farm Report. Anybody who's everybody is going to be on this podcast tonight. Can't wait to get going. Really quick, as we get into it tonight, I want to do roundtable quick thoughts. Jay Milvaham, we'll start with you. Overall thoughts on the Royals 2022 season. Man, we gotta start off with disappointing, right? Look, we're we're all sitting here thinking about our win loss projections at the beginning of the year, and I look back at mine, and I nearly came to tears. 
All right. I was like, yeah, we're going to get 84 wins. <laughs> this is going to be a big year for the Royals. And then, you know, this uh, this pile of steaming, you know what, came out for the for the season. So, look, it's, I think, disappointing. I'm smiling because if I wasn't laughing, I'd be crying. All right. So this season has been disappointing. But I'd love to hear everyone else's thoughts. Joshua, if you could describe your overall thoughts for the season in 30 seconds, how would you do it? Uh, tonight, I got bit on the hand by a mosquito on the palm of my hand. Top is like Mount Rushmore of bug bite locations as far as worst goes. That's how I feel the Royals 2022 season went. Joseph? I'm going to try and be relatively optimistic. Obviously, it was a disappointment, but ultimately toward the end of the year, like we saw with the the lineup for game 162, it kind of ended up being what we wanted it to be to a degree with getting these young guys in there, getting them acclimated and making them a part of the future right now. So it sucks losing almost 100 games, but we got the guys in there in the lineup pretty much every day that we wanted in there. So, I mean, that's not nothing, right? That's a really good point. By the end of the season, like this last couple of weeks, it has been exactly what you wanted it to be. We haven't seen Hunter Dozier in like three days. I couldn't be happier. I mean, what else could you ask for? We haven't seen Ryan O'Hearn or Hunter Dozier in a while. I mean, this has been great for like three days. The lineup today for game 162 was eight rookies and Edward Olivares. Yeah, and Salvador Perez is hurt, and that's going to be a factor going into it next year. You assume Salvi's going to be healthy. It's going to be – a bunch of second-year players, guys who are still technically rookies. And, Joel, I'm going to go with you. I think my overall thoughts are as as disappointing as the season has been, and they've been horrible. I mean, let's not try to make two bones about it. As terrible as they were, by the end of the year, we saw exactly what we wanted to see. And I, I agree with you. My issue is that it took so long. I oh, read yeah. today, did you see, was it Annie Rogers who ran the thing about, like, you know, the Royals didn't plan on having MJ Melendez up in May, but he made them make new plans. It's like, damn it. That is the whole frustration that everybody, every Royals fan has. We were trying to tell you the team stinks. They stink out loud. 32 games below 500, and your plan wasn't to get the young guys up here? What was the plan? Just to keep losing? Like, I just, oh, I read that and I was like, shouldn't have said that. Don't say that out loud. I mean, it's not good for my blood pressure. <laughs> I, I'm not going to worry about it now because I'm sure the part of the reason the guy that was pulling the strings, he ain't here anymore. Mm-hmm. So that had to factor in too. Like I, I talked about this with, uh, with Jack Johnson on the, on the night shift that, you know, he was asking like, what was the reason why Dayton got fired? And I said, I don't think it was like one thing. I think the, maybe the comments in the athletic on the athletic article was a straw that broke the Campbell's back, but it was a bunch of stuff over the last couple of years and a lot of stuff this year. And I think one of it was the, a lack of willingness to get the young guys in there when they really wanted to outside of Bobby Witt jr. Before like the, they basically just had to, they were forced to do it, not because they wanted to at times like Salvi got hurt. So they brought up MJ and then MJ kills it right out the gate. And it's like, he, you can't send him back down now. It takes until trading Carlos Santana to give any Pasquantino up in, in what was at the end of July or like pretty close to it. And or end of June, sorry, I'm sorry. June, yeah, yeah. It was, it was a couple weeks before the All Star break, and then Vinny Pasquantino turns into one of your best hitters and is your he four missed. hitter for the next six years. Like, 
it's it's that easy. And you, now you consistently get Kyle Isbell some at-bats. He's turned into a nice platoon guy. Edward Olivares has proven that he can be an everyday right fielder for this team moving forward. Drew Waters should be your 2023 starting center fielder. Michael Massey, Nate Eaton. It took until... It took way too long to get these guys in. And sure, did the winning come the way we thought? No, because the pitching stunk. But these dudes kept hitting. And ultimately, that's going to be a huge part of what's going to happen next year because I'm going to assume that the pitching is going to be better because of the changes they're going to make. But what we have right now, it's a pretty good spot to be in. All things considered, I don't disagree with you. Jacob, you mentioned expectations coming into the season. What were we thinking the record could be and our, our, our lofty dreams of what this team could be? <laughs> my, my real question for you is whose fault was it that expectations were high? Because on, on one end, I think as fans, we can acknowledge that maybe we were wrong in our assessment of the team. But secondly, the Royals were pumping the, the gas in their own butts. Like they were inflating themselves – I, who deserves more blame for the expectations being too high? Sorry, I I can't get past pumping that. That's yep. that's the line. That's that's the smoke in our own butts. Their <laughs> own butts. But it's like a what I should have said like a Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade balloon. Yeah. Well, yes. Yeah. Okay, exactly. I mean, that's where we're that's at. That's where I'm at. Look, hey, it's it's on both of us right now because it's on both the fans and the front office. Because let's be honest. This front office had the opportunity to right the ship early on in the season. There were some pretty glaring holes, some pretty glaring shortfalls, and they could have evaluated those and you know brought up prospects earlier, got guys out of the lineup every day earlier, things like that, and it might have fixed it. Just might have. But that's the big what if of April and May and June for these Royals that a lot of folks kind of forget about because we – we got our MJ Melendez, we got our Vinny Pasquantino, and then everyone was kind of hunky-dory. Look, I was, so we were talking about projections and things like that. I went and pulled up an article I wrote back in November of last year when folks were talking about like, hey, these are the 2013 Royals all over again. We got all these young guys. They're going to take all the steps forward. They're going to be competitive, da 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 I called them the 2011 Royals because they're going to get younger but they're still going to stink. I just didn't think it would be this bad. Do, do you remember off the top of your head, what was the Royals record in 2011? So the Royals record in 2011 was 71 and 91. So about four, within about four games of, of this year. Yeah. Not, yeah. It, it, and so that was my thing coming into the year is I was one of the ones beating the drum for the 2013, more like the 2013 same, team. Same. And, and, and I think looking back at it, this is more like 2012 to me because in 2011, the Royals are ascending still. And in 2012, I think their record may have been a little better. It was basically the same. And that was the year they were supposed to take a big step forward. And they didn't take that step until 2013. So for me, this is somewhere in the middle. It's, it's somewhere between, hey, the team had been ascending up until last year. Let's give them credit. They were trending the right direction. Now, not very quickly, but they mm -hmm. were steadily improving. This year felt like that big step back in both in record and in like, oh man, maybe we're not as close as we thought we were because I think in 2012, everyone thought that 2013 could be what 2014 wound up being. We were just a year behind. I think this is like 2012 where we are just a year further away than we thought we were. 
And by 2024, we should be expecting this team to be in the playoffs. And if they're not, it's the whole thing is broke. And they, like Josh has been saying for a while, the potential to tear it down to the studs is still in there. Like Josh said facetiously, uh, sort of facetiously on a podcast recently before we started recording that, is it time to start talking about trading Bobby Witt Jr.? Now, that was, again, that was the joke. But in all seriousness, was he joking? <laughs> if the team still I don't stinks, think he was. That very throwing it out hey, I can ask any question. It doesn't mean I mean it. I can ask any questions. Give me the answer, Josh. I need the answer. Well, and speaking of answers, Joshua, what, who who do you blame for the expectations being too high? 100% on us. What what have we seen from this organization in the last three years that we haven't seen the year previously? Every year it's been the same thing, and we, read, we hang our hats on something else every year. I do it probably more than anybody walking this earth, so I am 100% taking the blame on this. This is on us. We, we put lofty, not even lofty, we put uh, very, very reasonable expectations on this team, and they just weren't met. Now they're like you guys are talking about. The young guys are a bright side, bright spots. Um, Brady Singer looks great. That's fine and dandy. We got hope next year because there's we're going into the unknown. Who knows what happens to this franchise in the offseason? They could it sold and moved to Timbuktu. Who knows? But by God, I got I'm gonna have hope again. But right now I'm just a broken human being, and uh, I'm just gonna lather and rinse myself in of this muck of a season. I was I was thinking about this um, earlier today, just with all the with all the disappointment. Because I was thinking about it today, I'm like, oh man, I really got to make sure I watch this final Royals game. And then I was like, but, but do I? But, like, but do <laughs> do I? Like, is anything going to happen today that I didn't know was going to happen already? And then Vinny goes deep in the first. I'm like, okay, I'm glad I turned the game on. Like it was it was. And then worth you turned it, it off. And you're happy for that. Exactly. They won. In my eyes, they won today. I don't know what happened. <laughs> they, they won one to zero for everything I watched. No, I just won their 90th game. I was happy about that. Yeah, so, I was gonna say you're on cloud nine. Right I was now. gonna say, like, y'all can't tell me nothing right now. <laughs> the, the, the legend of Big Dumper getting us to the playoffs is a, a great, great feeling. The other part, we we don't want to say like we told you so. We did say you guys especially were banging the drum that these young guys are going to be better than Carlos Santana, better than Ryan O'Hearn, better than and, uh, Hunter Dozier. And I was the one guy's like, guys, chill. We don't know that. We don't know that for sure. We never know what these rookies guys. And even you guys, I went back and listened to the preseason prediction episodes of One Royal Way, went back today, and both of you guys were very much hammering the over 75 and a half. So to say that you knew this was coming was both yes and no, because you guys were, at, were drinking that Kool-Aid just as much as I was in the preseason. I was shooting it into my forearm. <laughs> I went back and listened to something that I said earlier. I said these two things on the same podcast, Joshua. I said in the same podcast, I said the team's going to win 77 games, and they did nothing in the offseason but add Bobby Witt Jr. and pray no. that everything gets better. I said yep. the same thing in two podcasts. I'm like, yep. looking back on, I'm like, what was I thinking about? Like, how did I think this was going to be better? Like, on what planet did I expect? I tried to warn people the rotation was going to stink. I tried to warn people that Nicky Lopez could not physically replicate his 2021 season. And yet here I am, shock and awe, that they sucked yeah. booty hole for most of the season. So, I don't know. I probably should have said that. But I just, oh, I'm so frustrated. 
Jacob, with all of this considered, with everything in mind, what is your number one and maybe number two or three, but your biggest task lists for the team this offseason? If you could snap your fingers and get a few things done, what, what are some things that you're looking for for them to do this offseason? All right. So, I mean, hey, we, we all know what the first one is. We got to revamp the pitching, coaching, and developing system right now. There's a lot of good candidates out there to replace Cal Elder. There is no reason why this man should be back in Kansas City. Now, I will say this. We can't move on from Mike Matheny just yet. All Not right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Breaking news? No. I just no. if you if you're hoping they keep Mike Matheny around, you may want to find something else. Hey, you know what? <laughs> the man's only had three seasons in Kansas City when it's all said and done. So I'd hope he kind of sticks around, but Kyle Elder gotta go, man. Gotta the man gotta only on. murdered three people. He doesn't have to go to prison. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> seems be a really reasonable. Seems very reasonable. It is it is very reasonable. And look. Number two is something that might happen, but we'll never know if it does. You got to be more aggressive on the free agent market because all all said and done, for all we know, these Royals are actually going out and making competitive offers. Do we believe that? No. Heck no. Got a whole bunch of cheapskates up there one Royal way. Hey. Yeah, Joel. <laughs> <laughs> Joel is uh, cheap. Hashtag Joel is cheap. Cheap. Cheap, <laughs> but look, you gotta go out there. You gotta buy some arms. You gotta get some new arms in this rotation because that was that. That's what really held this team back. Let's be honest. In the second half of the season, was a lackluster rotation. Actually, hold on, sorry, lackluster is too nice. Historically <laughs> bad rotation it was and yeah. the bullpen. You know what? The only the pitching staff's only saving grace this year was the Washington Nationals. The Washington Nationals had one of the worst pitching staffs I have ever seen from a Major League Baseball organization. And that was like one of the few things like saved the Royals from total bottom of the ocean floor in terms of pitching. I, I saw today, who was it? Gosh darn it. It tweeted and said, um, the Royals today allowed nine runs for the 27th time. That's about one in every six games. They're allowing it was nine runs. It was yeah, Bernier. Bernier tweeted, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. What a fitting send off for oh, our pal, our pal Cal. <laughs> like, you gotta go. We are we are cutting California off of the United States. Cal's gotta go. Um, <laughs> and whatever whatever happens next is is gravy. My left foot could be a better pitching coach than than one Pal Eldred. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. Uh, Jacob, I appreciate you joining us tonight. It's been excellent. Do you have any final thoughts? Any any Final words you'd like to get in about the Royal season? Get a plug hey. in there, too, for your content, too. <laughs> hey, look, we we had to take a little bit of a step back from the podcast for mm. a short time. Um, but, yeah, we're going to be putting out a new episode on Royal Rundown Pod here before too long. But, look, it is the season is over with. I'm hoping to, like, sit down and talk to some players, man, and really, you know, see what was going on with this team and get some more insight. But, look. We just got to look to 2023. Let's focus on these young guys, just like I know folks over at Royals Farm Report are doing. I can't wait to sit down with Joel again and talk about the future of this team. So thanks, y'all, for having me on tonight. Yep, just make sure you stay positive, baby. Yes, sir. 
if you want to take your crew out to Arrowhead or do anything else around Kansas City, be sure to check out our friends at Tickets for Less. Ticketsforless.com is the best uh, best deals for tickets around the Kansas City area. They don't charge per crazy fees uh, per ticket like you see on other third party sites. Use our code KCSN22 uh, when go to when you go to Ticketsforless.com to get any tickets for anything you're doing uh, for football season, concerts, shows, whatever you want to do. All right, we are now joined by Jordan Foot of Inside the Royals and of Kansas City Sports Network. Welcome on to the team, Jordan. Excited to have you, and a, Jordan's going to be a producer for us, so we don't have to deal with Tucker anymore. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what Jordan's going to be doing in the producer role. Tucker does a great job. He's sitting – I wouldn't say that about Tucker if he wasn't sitting in the green room. So for anybody who thinks I'm bullying, I'm not. I'm just, just <laughs> Tucker, only Tucker, because I'm pretty sure Tucker's like part ginger – which means he has no soul. So you can. What are we doing here? What are we doing, dude? You've been out of pocket tonight. Like it is, <laughs> it's, it's not going to slow down. We got another. I don't hour even know left. if I want to say anything. <laughs> I, I'm afraid that Alex is going to bully me off the pot. Yeah. Well, welcome, let me just Jordan, let me just go back that. in the in the group Good chat here grief. when we started putting this podcast together. I, I've got a quote from Jordan that I would like to read after oh, Tucker was no longer in the group I think chat. We need to do that exact quote. Get. Tucker, so <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I don't want to. I'm not gonna. What am I gonna say? Don't. Uh. Uh-uh. I got the receipt. Oh man, I got the receipt. It's okay right if it's here. Tucker. It's different if it's anybody else. And you get to get uh, used to that producing uh, software by editing out that f bomb. <laughs> Jordan, welcome onto the show, man. Give us your overall thoughts on the 2022 Royal season. Oh man, where do you even start? Like the hitting generally showed some progress. Um, the pitching obviously <laughs> struggled. It wasn't very good. Um, some reasons with what they have to not give up. Um, Dylan Coleman, I thought, emerged down the stretch of the year. Scott Barlow was Scott Barlow, obviously. Um, the emergence of Brady Singer was big. Obviously, I don't buy into, and I don't think you guys do either, the you need 10 pitching prospects to have one pitching prospect. That's kind of a, a weird way of looking at it, and kind of an unfortunate way of looking at it. Um, but for him to hit... Like it's not a, the first few weeks it was like, okay, maybe he's on a hot streak. Like he's going to come back down to earth like this. This can be Brady Singer for a long time. I think it will be Brady Singer for a long time. Um, So that was huge. And then the firing of Dayton Moore, I think kind of summed up the year. And that heading into the season, I know you guys talked with Jacob about like expectations and stuff. I was kind of in the Alex camp of, yeah, they didn't really do anything but they should just internally improve a little bit and then have Bobby Witt Jr. So they should win, you know, 77, 78, 79 games, whatever. Um, my prediction yeah. of 81 and 81 was bad, obviously. But um, <laughs> bad in the short term, unfortunate in the short term. But going through these, like, do you even call them growing pains? Whatever the heck you call the 2022 season, I think it's going to help them long term. So I think that's the big takeaway from it. I think that when you when you talk about the offense, it is fair to say that they're growing pains. I think it's fair to look at the offense and go, hey, we can call it growing pains because we saw tangible signs of success all throughout the season. With every single hitter, there was success. It wasn't, well, almost all of them, there was signs of success, right? With the pitching staff, it was like Daniel Lynch would have a good start. And and in order to evaluate pitchers because they're not playing every day, like you got to put three, four in a row. And outside of Brady Singer, like Jonathan Heasley came up and in his first like three, four starts was pretty good, but not a single pitcher progressed all season outside of Brady Singer. Not one. You can't point 
to a starter. You can't point to a single starting pitcher outside of Brady who took a step forward in any capacity. I think all of them. Hernandez, when he started, so Hernandez's starting rotation ERA, Bubich's ERA, Lynch's ERA, and Heasley's ERA were all north of five. That's horrific. Yeah, it's not, not even like they were high fours where you can go, you can like squint, close your left eye, close your right eye, shake your head, and like there it is. I can dream it up. They were bad bit was high. Bad bit was high. I mean, come on, just do for regret, <laughs> do for a lower number. They couldn't. They couldn't have physically been worse. Almost. I mean, Jackson Carr was so bad. They sent him back to Omaha. But like, short of that, short of being sent back down, they couldn't have been much worse. So I agree. Like, with the hitting side, you can see tangible signs of evidence of success and of progression. With the pitching, there was none of that. Um, which brings me to my next point. Jacob disagrees, but Jordan Matheny and Eldred cannot return to this team next year. There's right? like, there's no. No, there, there's no way. And like, not to get like all hashtag sources, it's not even worth quote unquote reporting any of that. People who say that like, oh, they're on, you know, their days are numbered meeting Matheny and Eldred. The writing has been on the wall <laughs> for a while. Um, you can't have with Eldred the struggling pitchers. Um, I think it was, I forget who it was. And I'm really bad about that. Not giving credit to who tweeted it. Somebody out there tweeted it. They were last in strikeouts, last in walks, last in hits, last in runs. Yeah, it was rainy. Okay. Um, so not only did Cal not really help, like you can give him credit for Brady Singer, I guess, but he may have been a complete wash or even maybe made things a little bit worse. And like with Mike Matheny, he seems like a nice dude, um, but it's his time. Like early on the rumors of his managerial style being too, uh, hardcore at times, then the mismanaging of the bullpen and lineup decisions, the mismanagement, I think of some injuries this year. Um, it's not. The vibe check post deadline hasn't been nearly as bad, which is ironic because like the wheels have kind of fallen off over the past few weeks. But still, they didn't have this like magical stretch that everybody was dreading where he'd save his job and they already had the option exercised. That didn't happen. So I think not only is it like a foregone conclusion, um, but I think it's the right thing for both of them to go. Once Dayton got fired, I think that was really the point where I was like, okay, there, there's no way that he comes back. The mm -hmm. Royals could have won their last 12 games, and I just I don't think they would have brought him back. That was Dayton's guy that he brought in to be the heir apparent to Ned Yost. And when they brought him into the organization the year prior, we knew that was going to be whenever Ned decided to hang it up, Matheny was going to step in and be the manager. And I didn't like the hire at the beginning. Clearly, it didn't work for a three, you know, the three seasons that he was the Royals manager. And I think you just have to move on. Like, I don't think the I think some of the issues in the organization go beyond him, but I don't think he's part of the solution either. So this is where sure, maybe you could bring him back and it could work out with maybe, you know, you have a combination of Zumwalt and the better pitching coach, and maybe he can, you know, you can bring it together. But this feels like a situation where you have a team that's kind of on the cusp of being good. And like getting there, that you just have to bring in a different voice for the locker room and get bring in somebody that can be a culture builder and run the clubhouse the way that Ned Yost did, and then trust to have a really solid pitching coach along with Alex Zumwalt, Drew Saylor, and let things go that way. Is it time to start talking about analytics? Because Matheny was a playoff, you know, playoff postseason manager, and then yeah. he get got all those analytics. And now he's not very good manager, apparently. So is it time to start putting analytics on the hot seat? 
it, it makes you wonder. Like, it I'm does. not saying their days are numbered or anything, but in today's day and age, it makes you wonder if analytics are going a little bit too far. I, Some, I don't know. Somewhere while you're in my corner, Jordan, do you, do you agree that we need to get rid of Bobby Witt Jr. right now? I think if they if they want to maximize the long-term benefits with the franchise and then, you know, carry the one and, and multiply that by three, his value now, I, I don't know. MLB.com said he had a down year and that he's yeah. going to be a bounce back candidate. It's like, <laughs> if you go by that logic and you trade him before you even extend him or anything, then maybe the bounce back bum, whatever the, the verbiage was, I wrote an article on it. Cause I just, that's the way I am. I was like, I, this is going to piss people off. So I'm going to do it. But, like, how can you call a rookie? Like, granted, we talk about expectations. Bobby Witt Jr. was going to have to be like, Jesus Christ, in order to live up to the hype this year. Yeah. But he still had a really good rookie year. In a, in a, year, where Juli- in a year where like, Julio went God mode. Like, yeah. that's the only thing that prevented Bobby Witt Jr. from being considered one of the best rookies in baseball. Yeah, and, and he still was one of the best rookies in baseball. Yeah, he was a very good people. Like, he's season. not yeah. – it wasn't – if you look back on it, and the justification was if you look back on it in 15 years, it's going to be a down year. I'm like, he's a bleeping rookie. Like, of course, it's going yeah. to be one of his worst seasons, and he still was really good. So, um, yes, they should get rid of Wit because his value is only going to increase, and um, I don't <laughs> trust them to make that move when it needs to be made. And also, analytics are definitely on the hot seat because look at his defensive run saved. I'm just saying. Some, just, somewhere our, our good buddy Patrick Brennan's like in a fetal position crying in a corner <laughs> like yep. lighting his ginger beard on fire <laughs> before I ask this next question Jordan make sure you consult your magical spreadsheet if you could pick two pitchers two young starters that the Royals are deploying at the moment move them to the bullpen <sighs> and think that they're gonna have the most success there which two starters do you think would be the most successful out of the bullpen? Because my whole point all offseason, well, <laughs> offseason, shit, it just started. My whole point <laughs> about the offseason is go sign starters and move your starters to the bullpen because your starters stink. And that is adding to the bullpen. It is you, Your bullpen would, I think, objectively get better with Lynch and Heasley in it. But if you could only pick two guys to move, who would your two be and, and why do you think they'd be more successful in the pen? Yeah, so obviously um, me and Josh want Brady Singer moves to the bullpen. He just isn't cutting it really as a starter. You can get yeah. better value out of him if he's, you know, Greg Holland or whatever. Think um, about – you only got two Davis. pitches. Think about how exactly. good they be out of the bullpen. So, in all seriousness, you keep him. If Zach Greinke comes back, you obviously want him in your rotation, even if he isn't great. Um, the second half stuff with him, not to go down a rabbit hole, he was like nails in the second half, which was really weird considering the injuries and everything. I was – minorly concerned about that um with that said i think daniel lynch deserves to keep getting a shot with like a real i don't want to say real pitching coach because they technically have one of those but like a a productive pitching coach um the guy that is a no-brainer for me that i think is a reliever anyway chris bubich's fastball isn't good enough i don't think he has the command over it if, if he's going to have that fastball where he can't rear back and throw 95, 96, 97 or whatever. He needs pinpoint command. He doesn't have either. But when he was coming out of the bullpen, I believe when he first got called back up this year, he was throwing pretty hard and he was throwing pissed off and it was working to a degree. Um, If he adds that slider back into his arsenal, I think he could be an effective relief pitcher in some capacity. And then I think you keep obviously Keller and Hernandez in the bullpen. Um, You, 
That leaves Heasley, I guess, and I think he deserves a longer look as a starter just because I really do believe in him, and he has a bunch of different pitches to work with, and I think he can give you some length as a starter. Max Castillo, I guess, kind of factors into that. He is probably a more likely piece to go to the bullpen, but to Alex's point, if you come back next year and you have four out of five young guys in the rotation, like I get that there's a numbers game and you want to get looks, but you also aren't serious about contending because even if you do get a new pitching coach, you're not going to fix multiple of those guys. You're probably going to fix a Daniel Lynch and maybe a Chris Bubich as a reliever, not you're going to fix Lynch, Bubich, Coar, uh, Castillo as starters. I don't disagree with any of that. I actually, if I had to pick two guys to keep in the rotation, it would probably be Lynch and Heasley for now. I'd probably look into moving Castillo and Bubich to the – uh, bullpen, and I would let Angel Zerpa keep starting, and those are basically yes. your young starters outside of Alec Marsh, who I don't know what to think about right now because he had such a weird year in Double A. Um, I don't disagree with any of that, and in the in the interest of time, we're going to jump to this last piece, and then I'll get everybody's opinion on it. But Josh, let's start with you. I, I don't think I asked you this question when Jacob was on, but if you could pick two things in the off season, snap your fingers and they happened just overnight. What would your two off season items be? Um, first thing is I want to find that third baseman solution. I've been harping about it all damn year. I want to know who that is and I want them to bring something substantial to this lineup. We talked about how much better this lineup has been since all the young guys have been caught up in August. They had a 92 WRC plus 19th in the major leagues, 686 OPS, 20th in the league since september it was 95 and 695 which is good for 19th and 17th that ain't going to cut it in this league you've got to get better and third base is one of the most pivotal offensive positions that you can uh you can have in a lineup so go get me a dansby swanson go get me a trey turner move bobby over to third base long term that already injects run producers into your lineup at a third base position and we already know that more or less eight to nine of these spots in the lineup are pretty much set for next season. So there's only one opening left. It happens to be in a very valuable position at third base. Give me that offense production from third base. The next part is also like Jacob mentioned, we've already talked about is figuring out the pitching development, all that value, the Lacey, the Alec Marsh, all these dudes that are underachieving in the minor leagues. That's still plenty of development. And John Sherman talked about it all the time. We know that Cleveland guardians do it. The value in long-term development is there. They have to figure out the pitching development. Once they do that, they can add that to the hitting development that we've got, and we're soaring like eagles, boys. Soaring like eagles at that point. So give me those two things, snap, done, playoff bound. Fly like an eagle. I don't think we can do that. Uh, Joseph, two two requests, snap your fingers, are done. Try for Zach Gallon. The price Boom. is going to be astronomical. Oh, like, okay. Here's the thing. Like the price <laughs> is going to be Bobby Witt Jr. Astronaut. for Zach Gallon straight up. Yeah, straight up. No, who says we're no. saying? I say People no. Say. I say no. <laughs> like the price is going to be astronomical, especially with the end of the season that he had. He's going to be a top five Cy Young type guy. But like, I'd still pull the trigger on the move. Like you have. Would you, you trade? Have a, would you trade Melendez for him straight up? Ooh, it's going to be yeah. That would be where you're going to start. I would probably like I probably do it. That's one thing I wrote about that today. I'd well, probably I, like I think that that would be the one that would really really hurt. Yeah, but I, I would I would still do yet. it. I would still do it. 
I haven't published that article yet. I wrote it. haven't published it yet. That's for tomorrow. That's where I started the conversation with Gallon. Is like it starts at MJ Melendez. If you're willing to move Melendez, you can probably start that conversation. Otherwise, I don't know if you can get it done because I'm with you. I'm close because Gallon's got three years of control left. I'm close on being willing to make that move if 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 I could snap my fingers. But I totally agree. Like it is, it gets really close, teetering on. But that's probably going to be the price because Zach Gallon decided to go nuclear this year um, and price himself out of it. So the more realistic guy, if you're going to go get Diamondbacks, is Merrill Kelly. I think that mm-hmm. is actually one that I think is a realistic and a very solid dude to add in your rotation. And then go get Chris Bassett. That would be the the move that I because as much as I want to go and shoot for the moon and you go get like a Carlos Rodon or something like that, like I get it. Uh, but that guy's going to command nine figures. I don't think John Sherman's going to fork over that money. Now, if he does, then holy hell, then we, we got ourselves an owner. But I don't think that's going to happen right away. So I think Bassett's a much more realistic option uh, that it factors in really nicely. And when you consider, so say they make the Merrill Kelly trade and you go and sign Chris Bassett. That's a rotation of Singer, uh, Bassett, Merrill Kelly, Daniel Lynch, John Heasley. That's a that's a pretty solid rotation. And you can you can dream on that a little bit. Because now you need to fix one or two starters, not the entire mm-hmm. freaking rotation Correct. Correct. with a new development staff. I actually and wrote those about guys, those guys would be relatively cheap too, uh, yes. in all things considered. So it, it leaves you if you show somebody something in 2023, Sherman's gonna open up the checkbook a little bit more potentially and uh, go get the guy that's gonna put you over the top, hopefully. Mm-hmm. I wrote about this the other day as well. Does if they, I don't know what that interaction with Brian Bannister on Twitter was the other day. Mm. I don't know if he was I'm trying something. to tell us he's coming. Let's just say that's in the works and the Royals are trying to bring Brian Bannister back. What well, does that make it easier to bring Carlos Rodon in? That would, that would be nice. Like, Wouldn't that be cool? Because then you'd be, cool? <clears throat> then you'd be get, red. Like, yeah. It makes Jordan. me think that Rodon at that point would just be looking for the payday because he's got like it would be the last time he cashes in. So he's got to mm-hmm. follow the money at that point. That's, so that is I don't I know mean. if pitching coach is going to be that high on the prior list, but it can't hurt. 100% can't hurt. Yeah. Jordan, final thoughts on the night. Your two biggest offseason requests. You can snap your fingers, make it happen. What are they? I'm going to cheat on this one. The first one is just do what you're supposed to do with the organizational stuff, meaning manager, pitching philosophy, all that stuff. I'm going to lump it all into one. We've already talked about it. Um, Second, something that a certain somebody on this podcast has already written about on Royals Farm Report. Um, I would add one, Chris Bassett. People are worried about him being old. The dude's going to be 34. He just had career highs and starts and innings. I'm not really worried about that. As Um, a Met, too. Yeah, exactly. So he was putting (laughs) He stayed healthy pretty much for a full season as a Met. Yeah, exactly. impossible. Um, and then I think Mike Clevenger is an interesting proposition. I, I don't know about it, but I mean, he seems like instead of a, um, I'm already forgetting, instead of a Mike Minor reclamation project type thing, maybe you do a Mike Clevenger and you do another Mike and you actually get something out of it. It's probably going to be a one-year deal, like Alex has said, um, but I would invest in two arms. And again, I'm basically just spewing Alex's, article word for word um <laughs> if you don't add two arms to your rotation you aren't serious about winning in 2023 so well it would be very hypocritical of me to disagree with anything you just said so <laughs> <laughs> who has two thumbs and agrees with everything you said this person <laughs> jordan thanks for joining us tonight man um i know we're getting ready to lose joel here as well 
So, gentlemen, thanks for joining us. We are going to continue this podcast on the other side of a quick break. Uh, Marcus Mead of the Royals Weekly Podcast is joining us because Jared is big poo-poo head and didn't want to come on. So um, here, right after this, we'll be joined by Marcus Mead. Joel, Jordan, thank you guys very much. We'll see you guys here pretty quick. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Wait. Now joining us on this KCSN Royals podcast mashup, the man in all of the heat for the world chess cheating scandal, my brother Marcus. <laughs> you wanted to do one of those. Of those, of those intros. Yeah. I was, just the other day, I was thinking, we'll have Alex on and I'll let him do the intro because he wants mm. to do one. And that was actually got, a really good one. So I've got two so thank you for that. just okay. waiting for me. Just, so you, just, they're so good. That, they one, that one I just came off the top of my head. They got a perfectly match Mike's character. So something really like <laughs> oh, devious, <God>. really like <laughs> degrading. Okay. Because that's his character. Okay. Uh, Did but you yes, see thank the... you for having me. Did you see the bass fishing cheating scandal? I did. The, yes. What were they? Weights got, inside yeah, the fish? Got caught putting weights in there. They were uh, not happy with these that. Days. What's that Marcus all about? seems like way more like the guy to keister something in a chess tournament. <laughs> I do. That's my, that is my MO. You, you hit me on the head right there. I go, to, I go to the park and I do it just in the park with chess people. I'm, like, I'm high stakes all the time. I'm competing all the time. He's you guys the keisteree, hard, right? not the keisterer. <laughs> Oh, that had to be said on this podcast tonight. <laughs> We're celebrating. <laughs> We're celebrating. 
Speaking of celebrating, Marcus, we are celebrating the end of what has been a disastrous 2022 season. If you could sum up your overall thoughts on the season in 30 seconds, how would you do it? Um, probably with a TLC lyric of some kind. I'm not really sure. I, I, I was watching clips from the other guys earlier today. So all I want to do is quote <laughs> TLC right now. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, what's funny. I was, I was actually listening to the convo you had with Jordan and the thing that popped in my mind while he was talking about this was if they needed to go through this to get to the point where they were doing the things they should be doing, which is like changing direction in terms of their player development, the pitching side, changing pitching code and all that. Maybe you will look back at some point and say blessing in disguise, because as an organization right now to succeed as a small market team, you need to have certain things in place on the player development side. Cleveland is showing us this Tampa Bay is showing us this all the small market teams that are having consistent success are showing us that you need certain things in place to, to have that success. And the Royals just didn't have it, right? Dayton Moore was never that guy. He was never the guy who was going to do what needed to be done to have that sort of sustainable success for a small market team, develop cutting-edge player development, you know, focus on data-driven decision-making and things like that. That was never going to be him, and that was never going to be guys like Cal Eldred and Mike Matheny, right? And so if they needed to go through this season – to get, you know, to finally realize that, to finally realize what they needed to move forward and get rid of the stuff that they don't need, then maybe ultimately we say, yeah, that was a rough ride in 2022, but boy, some good things came out of it. I want, I want to jump down the list here to, to the list I sent you because you mentioned something interesting on Twitter earlier um, regarding the prefer- your preference for extensions. I said, if the Royals don't extend Vinny Pasquantino, this offseason, it tells me they're not super interested in doing those kinds of deals with their young players. And you mentioned that that's not the only model, that the other option is to be very transactional and to move guys at the right time. We've not seen the Royals do either of these things right. ever under Dayton Moore. They're not transactional, and they haven't been super interested in making long-term extensions with their players. I would prefer just start throwing money at guys and over the long haul – you'll get 75, 80% of them to hit and then you'll have them locked up and they'll be cheap and they'll be affordable and, and, and controllable longer than you would have them under six years. You mentioned that being transactional is another option, trade them at their highest value and keep it moving, but it's hard to build, grow a fan base that way. So now that we're sitting here, A, what would your preference be for them? And B, if I'm telling you the option is to extend two of these players – considering the price, considering the production, who would you extend and why? Well, first off, if you would like great insights like that, follow me at Royals Weekly. <laughs> second <laughs> off, um, second off, I, yeah, that's a very interesting conversation to have. And it, it, it's not, I don't, I don't know that it's a coincidence that the two teams you look at that really do not offer long-term deals very often and, and do them and are very transactional, a lot of turnover, Tampa Bay and Oakland. It's not a coincidence. I, well, it may not be a coincidence that they finish in the bottom of the league in attendance every year, right? Now, is that a, it's a chicken and egg thing. Do they finish the bottom league attendance and that means they have less revenue and so they can't spend so much money and so on and so forth? Or does it mean, you know, fans can't get attached to players very much because they keep shuttling them out of there every time they're about to get in their later years of arbitration or they're about to hit free agency. So it's, it's really a, a tough question there. My preferred approach for the Royals, identify their young guys who they can lock up long-term for less than what you would think like 
you know, market rate would be. And you mentioned Vinny Pasquantino because he's this guy, right? Because he's the type of guy who might take a deal like that or like Salvador Perez was. It's not a coincidence that the Braves are locking up Latin American players who need money. Like they're not big bonus babies from the draft. These are guys who come from, you know, low income families, a lot of them. These are guys who didn't get gigantic bonuses, some of them. They lock them up long term because they need that money. You know, they need that financial security right away. The Royals can identify some of these guys like Pasquantino, who did not get a big bonus in the draft. I don't know if he comes from money or not, but, you know, it's it's more likely that guys like that will take those deals. The Royals need to identify the guys that they can afford to do that with. And then on top of that, they need to be willing to be much more transactional with the rest of their guys. That's just the only way to do it. And then you can build your fan base around guys like Salvador Perez, like they're doing, right? Like you can build them around Vinny Pasquantino's because they're cheap enough and, and are willing to stick around long-term. Or even, I don't think Bobby Witt Jr. will ever even consider really a free agent offer from the Royals. I think he's going to hit free agency no matter what. So that's kind of a, people are dreaming and fantasizing and stuff like that. But I don't think it's really even on the table. But if you if you get a phenom like him, who's young enough and you can sell the argument, hey, take seven years from us, go on the market when you're 28 and just stick around for a little while into your free agency. That's another good option. But Pasquantino is the perfect one to start with because he's the only one of that group I really think would really even consider it. Brady Singer's not considering it. He comes from money. He got a lot, of pretty decent bonus in the draft. Bobby Witt Jr.'s never even coming close to considering it, I don't think. And then, you know, who else? Do you want to offer Melendez that kind of money? doesn't necessarily need it in the same way some guys do hasn't isn't a surefire of a prospect I don't think as some of these other guys obviously Prado and the rest of these guys aren't either Drew Waters and things like that and so Pascantino is the guy I would start with and I don't know that I would be willing to give guys what they would actually be asking for other, beyond him honestly and we've I think been talking other... about we've talked about it a few times that Vinny's got the intangibles he's got the leadership quality the, the presence that guys want to be around. So if you want to lock him up, pay him a little bit above what you think that his market value is to A, because he deserves it, and B, because he could be a magnet to these other guys to potentially take those extensions and realize that something is growing here. And, and like you said, that could be something that then turns into a marketability, turns into considerations when they, they start asking the public for uh, tax money to build this new downtown stadium. All this is going to be taken into account, and it's a very timely thing because every press conference they're already talking about when they get called, they're like, the first question is about it, is always that downtown stadium. So if you think that any other decision is being made on baseball operations right now, I feel like it's way more involved in that downtown stadium more so. I was thinking about this in regard to that the other day. The Royals are going to have Bobby Witt Jr. through the 2027 stadium season through the 2027 season. I can tell you with confidence that the Royals would like to have their downtown stadium in effect by 2026 because of the World Cup. If you can mm. get the downtown stadium built, then Kansas City can use Kauffman Stadium to host soccer games. And then you can have soccer games at Kauffman, at Arrowhead. You can have them downtown. You can have soccer games spread out for the World Cup, and the Royals will be downtown out of the way for that process, right? Even if they're not playing games at the K, even if they're all at Arrowhead, at least the parking lot, it's not like we're trying to play Royals games and have World Cup games, right? There wouldn't be the, the connection. So let's just say they do. Let's just say magically the downtown stadium opens in 2026. You have two years left to Bobby Witt Jr. The Royals 
desperately need to be competitive when they go to that downtown stadium. They need to be competitive going into it. They need to be competitive in it. And they need to have guys locked up so they can be competitive afterwards. Mm. Now is a great time to start extending these guys. Give Vinny eight more years. That guarantees you three, four years of control after you open the stadium. Give Bobby Witt Jr., if you can find a way to get him for one extra year, like Marcus was saying, he still goes into free agency at 29. He's still very young. And you get him for that extra season in the new stadium. I think this is a great time to be doing this. Let them be competitive. Let them start winning and know they're going to be there when you've already opened up your new ballpark and your new enterprise downtown. Um, I, I think if I had to, I think Vinny is the slam dunk. I think if you're going to extend anybody, you start there because it makes so much sense. There's nothing about that that doesn't make sense. The next guy I'm looking at, if I'm the Royals, is Michael Massey this offseason because we know he can play defense. That's that's a given. He does a great job. We know his intangibles are there. He's a phenomenal human being. He runs well, and he's got some offensive qualities you like. And if you sign him now, while well, he's got six years of control left, and you sign him now before he hits 20 home runs, you might get him on a good deal. Hey, here's eight years, Mike. You'll go into free agency at 32. You won't be crazy old. You've got another opportunity to earn a second contract. Eight years, $60 million. Here it is. Take it or leave it. And, and it's just another piece you don't have to worry about. If you can get Mike Massey on eight and 64, that's $8 million a year. That's, that is nothing long-term. It's nothing. It's, it's not getting in the way of you doing anything you want to do in free agency. Just lock him up, get it out there, give him $8 million next year instead of 450,000 and, and start making headway with these guys in, in that way. Um, I was thinking about that as well. Well, Mark, you can also do. Oh, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. You can also do creative things with how you spread that money out, right? So they, they would give him eight million a year, but they wouldn't start giving him that eight million for a few years, so that they could spend money in free agency in these next couple, right? To bring in some pitching because he's going to be what on his rookie contract. He's going to be a four or five hundred thousand dollar player well, for the next couple seven, of years or two. Seven, seven, that's right, seven. Yeah, seven hundred thousand dollar player for the next year or two, and then he'll get into his low R beers and stuff like that. So. They'll, they'll sort of space that out, and then you know his big payday will come into those ARB years and beyond that. So that wouldn't hamper them from spending for agency. He does – Vinny scares you for only one reason long-term, his body, right? You worry about, is that going to break down? Is he going to have issues? He already had an injury issue this year. You, know, you just wonder about it. He had a, the back thing in college. You wonder about what's the body like in eight years? Is he going to break down earlier than we expect and that sort of thing? That's it because other than that – the, the hitting profile seems like the most reliable hitting profile you can find. And so like that makes total sense. If you can sort of say like, we're willing to take on the risk that he might break down at some point. Let's do a quick minor league look back, Marcus. The, the, the minor leagues had a, it was a weird year because I think one thing I'd sent you and in, in to, to start the conversation was the offensive development keeps rolling. There were examples of guys continuing to take steps forward. Luca Tresh, Peyton Wilson had great years. Diego Hernandez made it to double A at 21. Gavin Cross, Caden Wallace were awesome in a very limited sample. Tyler Gentry, Nick Lofton, Mike Hill Garcia all flashed. Logan Porter came out and hit the crap out of the I mean, <laughs> they're not just developing their big time prospects. They're making 35 value 
future value players, guys who are organizational depth, borderline 40 future value guys, which is like a million dollars in surplus value if you can make that jump. You've just earned yourself a million dollars in value on the chance they become major league players is the basic way that I think a lot of people look at that. So when I look back at the season, yeah, the pitching was horrendous. It was a lot like 2019. We've been saying that all year, but the hitting continues to take steps forward. And and I'm at the point now where I'm willing to say that Zoom, Walt, and Sailor need to be a part of the future. Everything that is good about this organization right now runs through them in some capacity. And I'm ready to lock them up. I'm ready to announce that the Royals, like I think the Guardians, the Brewers, the Cardinals, the Dodgers, the Astros, the Rays, the Yankees do a great job with hitting development. And I think the Royals are right in that the top of that second tier of hitting development, I, I'm ready to announce that they've made it, and now the pitching needs to catch up. I think you're absolutely right. So, so, so I, the other day, I came out with a list on Twitter that was like, here are the five most important things I think happened for the Royals' future this season. And I didn't put this one on there. This one should have been definitely on there. And that was the firing of Jason Simon-Tachi, right? Like, and so you talk about what does this team really, really need? Like, what's an under, like, people are going to focus on Matheny and Eldred and filling the manager position and filling the pitching coach's position. But filling that pitching coordinator position, that is a huge, huge thing for the minor league development, for cementing pitching development in this in this organization because talent is there right arm talent is in this organization in the minor leagues Alec Marsh Lacey you know uh Kuderna and uh Mazzucato, you know a bunch of the guys that they took this year have a ton of arm talent it is there to be developed the question is what are they going to do with it and you're absolutely right it's in deeper contrast for us because the hitting development is so good we see like what the results of truly good player development can be and all we can do now then is imagine and fantasize like, well, what if our pitching development was as good as our development? My <laughs> Lord, like we couldn't be yep. stopped. Like it'd be insane, right? And so, yeah, that's just one of those things that is going to be a hugely consequential thing. If I look back on the minors, it, it, it's that story. It's the story of a hitting development that looks like a freight train and a pitching development that looks like the person tied to it or tied to the tracks. You know what I'm saying? Like that's, <laughs> that is, that is the story of the minor league season for the Royals, you know? Uh, and yeah. so, the good news is, if, if there is good news, the talent's still there. It's it's not like it, it, it went away. And I think what we're learning from watching some really good player development people get into organizations and turn them around quickly is that it doesn't take years and years and years. Is that if you have a good message from the top down and it runs the top, the hit, the coordinator through every pitching coach in that organization, through every pitching strategist or whatever you call them, if you have the right message and it goes and good game plans for each one, you turn five guys around in one year and your pitching development looks a lot better, right? Like mm. you turn, you know, it, it's not out of the realm of possibility that Marsh and Bolin and, you know, Mazzucato and Kaderna and maybe Ben Hernandez takes a turnaround or, or something. It's not out of the realm of possibility that some of these guys look entirely different next year than they did this year, but they have to hire the right person to run that pitching development. You know who they'd be if they could develop pitchers? Cleveland? No, Cleveland. because they develop yes, hit- well, no, they de- Cleveland. Uh, yeah, Cleveland this year because Cleveland has put some good hitters up into the majors this year. Yes, and they've yeah. they've always done a decent job. Think about think about Jason Kipnis rolls through there mm-hmm. and um, Brantley, Michael Brantley, Michael Brantley comes through there. They they've always done a good job. Now it would be flipped, right? Because what Cleveland does well in pitching, we do well in hitting, 
and then their hitting development, our pitching development, right, are the, are the lower rungs. But if you could get the mm-hmm. pitching up, right? So, but Cleveland, what do they do? They're consistently competing for division titles. They are consistently in the playoffs. And every now and then they give themselves a legitimate chance to make a run at a World Series. Now, they got beat by the Cubs, but they were they were there and they've been in the playoffs consistently for the last ever since they hired Terry Francona. But they're consistently in play. The Royals are capable of that. And I'll tell you right now, nobody wants to play Cleveland in these playoffs. No. Nobody wants mm-hmm. to play Cleveland in this in this playoff series because their pitching is so good. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to face Tristan McKenzie, Shane Bieber, and that bullpen because it's good. Yeah. <laughs> and I, so, you know, and, and they're opportunistic hitters too. Like they, they put the ball in play a lot. And so they if you're a manager looking at like who might we end up playing, you're looking at them and thinking, if you're thinking to yourself, who's going to be the 2015 Royals of the playoffs? It's Cleveland. It's Cleveland. <laughs> they have the best chance to get super hot and just steamroll through the playoffs. I picked the Yankees and the Astros and the ALCS based on just like here, here's the two best teams, but I totally agree with you on that on that sentiment. Josh, really quick, Alex Zumwalt, the manager of 2023, Drew Saylor, big league hitting coach. You in? Sure. Uh sure. I, I don't see any reason why not outside of the inexperience of the managerial position, but if he can put this spin and do what he can do with this Royals development and the hitting side, why couldn't he do it, produce a lineup, an optimal lineup at, at that every day uh, for this big league club? And, I mean, all the guys are familiar with him. They're all comfortable with his, you know, his way. They all understand it. And they're all bought in. So you don't have to convince anybody really in that clubhouse to – do what he asked to do there's reason for it they get it so it it makes a lot of sense to do that way if it comes down to the point where if, if we're doing it because we're in fear of losing him that is kind of a different situation but uh i think i think you said something about that uh either paying him or promoting him into the situation uh that he that he would need that way but it was it, it is an interesting scenario i'm i'm down for whatever uh, it seems like he's got me one over to to do whatever he wants <laughs> he did come before he was the big league hitting coach he was in the front office so it's it is fair to point out that instead of being the manager he could go to the front office mm-hmm. but seeing how successful they've been in in some ways with him in the dugout i'm i'm just okay with him being the manager and and not overthinking this one if that's what they want to do, Marcus, if that was what they told you, they came to Marcus and they said, Hey, we're going to make Zumwalt the manager, Drew Sailor the hitting coach. Are you signing off on it? Or are you extending the manager search out looking for something else? I would sign off on it only if that's what they want. I don't know that Alex Zumwalt wants to be a manager like in the major no. leagues. Maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. I don't know. I think we need to not necessarily assume that everybody wants that. I don't know if he does. Sure. But they should have a process that like does look wide, but he should definitely be a name at the top of, of their consideration if that if he wants it. Um, and then Sailor could be major league pitching or hitting coach if he wants it, right? Um, what I want, though, here's what we need to can we can we just talk? Can I just bring some truth bullets here? Yeah, Managing yeah. a major league baseball team is not that hard. Okay. <laughs> at least I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, it's not <laughs> like I, I've met brain scientists, I've met, you know, PhD mathematicians. This is not that difficult, guys, okay? And the thing is, like, the macro decisions, anyone can make those. Like, they're super easy. A computer can make those. Like, it's not that tough to be a major league manager. What you need is somebody with a personality 
who can keep the vibes chill when they need to be chill. Why is mm-hmm. Frank Kono such a good manager? Because he keeps the vibes chill when they need to be chill. Like it's oh. not like he has some secret sauce. It's like he makes all the best decisions. Oh, it's all it's not hard. He plays his best players most of the time. He gives them <laughs> breaks when they need it. It's is not rocket science. Like, you know, like it's it's not that we don't we can we can create our own magical spreadsheets if we need to, but like <laughs> it's not that difficult. This is not a hard job, guys. That it's really difficult to be in my mind to be the pitching coach or the hitting coach. That's the difficult job, right? Yeah. Like accurately pitching people who are actually going to add value as hitting and pitching coaches. That's the thing to me as a manager, all you can do is subtract value. Pretty much. There's a rare occasional manager who adds value with the soft skills stuff. You know, that does exist. I don't want to poo poo that, but what we're talking about here is like the difference right here to right here. Yeah. Ned Yost, I would say added some value, but remember in the early years, he also subtracted some value with bullpen (laughs) management which was complete garbage, right? <laughs> and so it's not, you're not talking a ton of, you're not moving the needle a ton with a managerial decision, I don't think. And I look at a manager like, just don't F it up. You know, that's all I really care about when it comes to managers. The, the other thing about that potential hiring is back when the Dayton Moore press conference happened, they talked to Piccolo the next day or they talked to Sherman the day of, and they were talking about the data-driven uh, decisions and they're really leaning heavily on the analytics. If they were really talking about zoom walk and sailor, that would be putting their money where their mouth is. And that's in that, in that situation, because if that was just lip service, I don't know if Piccolo was that like driven by analytics or not. I don't know where his, like his tendencies lie, but if that were the higher, that would scream to me that this is where that front office is headed. This is the direction that this organization is headed. This is the investment that they're making and they're going from top to bottom with it. So that if that were the case and that was the decision that manager, that would be screaming at me in that decision. Marcus, I really appreciate your time tonight. For those of you who missed it, Marcus, you can find his work at the Royals weekly podcast. He does write for us from time to time as well. So he, he'll be on Royals Farm Report, I'm sure, this offseason, writing for us just a little bit. Um, he's also, you've, like I said, the Royals Weekly, Royals Weekly Podcast, at Royals Weekly on Twitter. Phenomenal follow. The, uh, the, the group we have tonight is just a freaking Avengers masterclass <laughs> in, in Royals content creators. So highly recommend all the work Marcus does. Thanks for joining us tonight, man. Thanks for having me, guys. Great time. Thank you. We are now joined by Max Reaper, the editor-in-chief of Royals Review, one of the first places I got started writing about baseball and um, had a great time over there. It is a phenomenal community. I sometimes wish that I had the time to to separate my minor league and my major league content by writing at Royals Review, but the amount of time that I don't have as a new father is mind-blowing. So um, phenomenal work over there at Royals Review, obviously. Max is the host of the Royals V radio podcast at the minute, which you guys have been pumping out some content lately. So um, Max, thanks for joining us tonight, man. I'm, I'm really excited to, to recap this season with you. Yeah. Thanks for putting together this all-star lineup of, of Royals bloggers. I enjoyed that conversation you guys had with Marcus and uh, caught a little bit of, of the one before that. So you guys are doing a great job. I love it. It's going to be an exciting off season, you know, so there's going to be a lot, a lot, a lot to discuss and I'm, I'm ready to get on with it, you know? If you could describe your overall thoughts on the Royal season in 30 seconds, how would you do it? 
Well, you know, I'm kind of with Marcus. You know, I think the worst thing that could have happened is the Royals win like 74 games and nobody gets fired. And they're kind of like, well, we're not moving as fast as we, we, we think we can. But, you know, we're moving in the right direction slowly and no progress will be made. So they, they kind of needed to rip off the Band-Aid this year. And you kind of need to bottom out to get back where you need to go. So I think that, you know, this is kind of – I know it was a disappointing year. You don't like to lose 97 games. But this is kind of what needed to be done to turn the page and get moving into the next era of Royals baseball. It feels like an intervention of sorts. Yeah. I don't mean to get like too personal and like people's like very serious lives, but it's like that that family friend you have that just is constantly drinking a little too much, but like it's hard to say something because they haven't gone over the deep end yet. And then they finally go over the deep end. They wreck the car, they get in a fight, something terrible happens. And it's like now we can have the intervention. Like, look at this awful thing that is happening. This season to me was going over the deep end. This was the we have to sit down and have an intervention about what the Royals are doing because you can't even argue that it's not a problem anymore. Like this is so clearly a problem affecting the organization, whatever the problem is. And John Sherman has said, it starts Dayton more. He's gone. So apparently that's where the problem began for John Sherman. But I, I think it obviously runs deeper. And, and I, I'm really glad Marcus said that because it's not something I've been able to vocalize well myself just yet is if, like you just said, I don't mean to reiterate, if they had won 74 games, like, well, it's progress. No, that's not progress, right? So uh, I'm, I'm glad that point came up because it's almost like they did need um, a really bad season to identify how bad things really were going. Um, based on your expectations for the season, Max, what are your expectations now for the offseason? Because I think all of our expectations were – higher than the results wound up being. I don't think there's anyone whose expectations was for the Royals to almost lose 100 games, not realistically. So based on your expectations for the season and how low they they came to meeting them, what are your expectations now for the offseason and how they fix this mess? Yeah, I was just looking at our preseason predictions, and, you know, Sean Newkirk happens to be like the most probably most negative Royals, pessimistic Royals fan I know. And he still projected him to win like 74 games. So <laughs> <laughs> that shows how far off we were. So how far below expectations they went. Uh, yeah, I don't, you know, this will be an interesting offseason. I think it'll be one of the more interesting ones we've had. I don't want to be, though, I've heard a lot of talk about adding a couple of free agents. And, you know, it's 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 it's, it's fun to think about. And, and it could happen. I, and I, I don't I don't really know what direction J.J. Piccolo will go or John Sherman. But just to be kind of the wet blanket, like John Sherman mentioned in his press conference uh, wanting to be more like the, the Guardians and the Rays and the, uh, the the Brewers. And the way I look at it is if, if, the, if the Rays or the Guardians looked at this roster, I don't think they'd be adding two free agents starting things. <laughs> I don't think they'd be at, well, at least not a, um, you know, not, not not a Chris Bassett or a Noah Syndergaard or someone like that. Now they might add an Andrew Heaney or someone that's maybe a little undervalued in the market or maybe a reclamation project like a Joe Ross. I don't know what his health status is. He missed the entire season after Tommy John surgery, but someone like that who they feel like, okay, we can get him for two to $6 million with incentives. Uh, we'll coach him up. We'll get a good season out of him. Maybe we'll trade him at the deadline if we're not in it. Uh, and he'll be pretty valuable. Um, and, and I see them making some trades. I think I think they'll make some trades. Um, I guess kind of like the Luke Weaver trade, except a good pitcher. <laughs> you know, someone like <laughs> somebody's like falling out of favor in another organization, but it's still has some controllable years. But um, but is but is good, and or at least they can that they can uh, turn into a good pitcher with hopefully whoever the new pitching coach is. So I don't. 
Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe they maybe they go big. I mean, John Sherman does have to kind of sell the public on a potential downtown stadium. Um, it, it would certainly behoove him to make a big splash. But if he's talking about being like some of these other teams, you know, I don't think the Rays or the Guardians are going to go out and sign a big free agent. I think they're going to be make, make small, smart, cost efficient deals, be transactional. Maybe they trade a Nick Prado. Maybe they trade a MJ Melendez. Um, but I think they're going to go younger pitchers that are going to be here for the long haul because I don't think they expect necessarily to compete next year. They want to make progress, but I don't think next year is a year they're, they're looking and, and, and saying, okay, well, we're going to be in, in the hunt next year. Uh, it's probably going to be a little further out than that. And I, I tend to agree with you on that, which is frustrating because that's the same thing that we have said the last three <laughs> seasons, seemingly. Like when no, we always like, we would love to have that flashy James Shield, James Shields, Wade Davis trade, but they just, they're probably not going to do it. And in like you mentioned the press conference, Sherman also said he'd rather see a wild card team and see what a wild card team looks like before the world championship team that Dayton Moore kept talking about. And and Alex, you were talking about it on Twitter. Cody and Gold were talking about they want to be winning by the time they add those big pieces. It seems like. So I agree that that's the seemingly, and I think that's what we've been conditioned to think over the last three seasons, last three off seasons that. They're going to go after these retreads, these reclamations, these value pitchers and try to spin them. And while they do that, the Royals themselves are going to lose enough to be sellers at the deadline again. It just it seems like it's a constant wheel, a cyclical thing that it never we got to break it at some point. Maybe the Dayton Dayton Moore firing is it, but it just seems like it's the same thing every offseason that we've kind of been seeing the last three, four seasons. Well, and here's my thing with that, and I don't want to say that you guys are wrong because I think you're right in theory, but if the Royals agree with you, here's what I would say is wrong with that, and Josh, you kind of alluded to it, is your farm system right now isn't deep enough to trade to bring in talent, and if you're not going to go sign something big, you're going to be the same damn team next year (laughs) as you are this year. They can't trade a single pitcher on the farm system because not a single one's going to bring back market value. They all had bad seasons. You can't trade Lacey's got the yips. You can't trade Alec Marsh. His ERA was in the sevens. You can't trade Anthony Veneciano. He was awful to begin the year. You can't trade Mazzucato or Caderna yet. They haven't realized anything. So you're stuck with the hitters who you don't have a ton of them right now. You've got five or six that I really like at the top. But there's not a lot of depth in it because you did just promote a bunch of them to the big leagues. And if you trade somebody from the big league team, you better replace them with a free agent. Otherwise, this team's going to lose 90 games again next year. So I agree with you guys in theory. But I think the problem with comparing them to the Rays and the Guardians right now is the Rays and the Guardians are good. There's a reason they don't have to sign free agents. Their development systems are already in place. They're already competing. And they handed out the Rays just paid Wander Franco. The Guardians just paid Jose Ramirez. So if you don't sign a free agent, you damn well better extend Bobby Witt Jr. Because their payroll this year was under $100 million, and it's going to be under $100 million again next year because there's nobody on the payroll. So my thing is, and, and I sound like I'm getting upset at you guys right now, I think. <laughs> you do. It's, don't it's stop not, yelling at me, Dad. geared <laughs> towards you guys. It's more that, like – that thought was in the back of my mind and you guys have just triggered it into my anxiety <laughs> and my frontal cortex. But it's like, if they don't spend money this off season, what the hell else are we doing? You have to show Kansas city that you're serious about winning. Otherwise you just fired Dayton more for what, what did you fire Dayton more for? If you're not going to go out and try to win. 
And if you're not going to try to, if you're not spending money, then you're not trying to win. In my eyes, they have to get their payroll up to about $110 million next year and show Kansas City, look, we are trying. The development systems are coming. It's going to get better. But in the meantime, here's the roster we're putting on the field. And I don't care if that money's for a free agent or if it's because you've got Bobby Witt Jr. under control for the next 10 seasons. But you got to spend some kind of money. Otherwise, you're going to lose 90-plus games again in 2023 for a fact. Well, I'll push back on that a little bit. I, first of all, I, I think to be a little cynical about it, firing Gate Moore probably buys them some time. It probably buys them a year. Bingo. Be like, you know, we'll give J.J. a chance here. Let's see what he can do. And having young players, I think, buys some time too. But, I, you know, I, you talk about you know, only having hitters to trade, but there are redundancies in the lineup. I mean, you've got two first basemen in Nick Prado and Vinny Pascantino. You've got two catchers in MJ Melendez and Salvador Perez. You've got perhaps two shortstops in Bobby Witt Jr. and Michael Garcia. Now, maybe you move some of those guys to other positions. That's certainly a possibility. Um, but uh, you you have an opportunity there to maybe make a trade, but still have a guy to replace them. You perhaps you have two center fielders and Drew Waters and Kyle Isbell. Um, so I do think there are opportunities there to to make a deal. And look, look, when we talk about being transactional, a lot of people are like, "Oh, just release Hunter Dozier, trade Hunter Dozier." It's like, well, that's that's a no brainer. To being transactional means making the hard trades, making the trade that hurts a little bit. It's like, oh man, what if Nick Prado turns into something? We traded him away for this young pitcher. Or what if Daniel Lynch turns into something? We traded him away for, you know, X. Uh, that happens sometimes. And, and I think the previous administration was afraid of that happening. Uh, the Royals have to be unafraid of that because the Rays, the Marys make bad trades all the time, but they just keep 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 chugging along because they trust their process. Um, and so so I think there are I do think there are opportunities to make some interesting trades here. Uh, we'll have to see if, if the Royals are going to go that route. I, I don't disagree with you, though, that the Royals probably should be spending some more money just to show, uh, you know, that this this that as John Sherman said, status quo is unacceptable because I don't think fans will, you know, winning will cure all eventually, but I, I don't think they can lose 97 games again next year. And as much time as firing Dayton Moore is going to buy them, that's a sacrificial lamb. That's a hundred percent going to work. But the more moves they make, it seems like they put them, put a multiplier on fan support, fan appreciation, fan interest. Like you, you tear it down to the studs, new pitching development, uh, you sign a mid-tier free agent. All of a sudden, fans are like perking up a little bit more and, and paying a little bit more attention to what the rest of the offseason goes. And has, maybe they're drinking a little bit more Kool-Aid in the preseason. So it just seems like the more they do now, maybe they snowball a little bit more and they get a little bit more fan fan appreciation, fan support uh, come next season. We'll, I mean, maybe. We'll see. And, there's a, and there's a little urgency, too. I mean, Bobby Witt, yeah. yeah. I mean, only got him for a limited number of years unless you sign him to a long-term deal. Brady Singer's on the clock. Uh, you know, some of these guys, you know, the the, the free agent, the service time's click ticking and, and uh, the Royals, mm. you know, the window is only open for so long. Yep. Speaking of spending a little money, Max, if you could, taking market value into account, if you could lock up a player to this offseason, we've been screaming about how easy it would be to sign Vinny Pasquantino just with everything we know about him, how 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 much of a slam dunk that would probably be. Who Who would you lock up if you could – Again, considering market value, we can't just sign Bobby Witt Jr., spend other people's money, and ah, here we go. But who would you who would you go lock up? Uh, I, I think you kind of said it earlier. Like you, you don't, uh, you only do this if you buy out like a year or two of free agency, right? Like it, I think it's, I think lock long term deals have become a little overrated in that, like it doesn't make sense to sign a guy to a five year deal if it only buys out 
it, it doesn't matter any free agency, right? You know, having that cost certainty is not uh, a value, really. Um, so I, I think Brady Singer's got to be the first guy you look at. And I don't think that your chances of signing him to a deal right now are, are very great. I mean, he's got he's got four years left before free agency, I believe. I think they, they delayed his service time a little bit this year by sending him down. But, um, but he, you know, he took that step forward, and, and that's what you really want to see. And it's going to be it's going to be expensive now because he's had that good year. But I, I think, you know, good pitchers don't come around very often, especially in this organization. And when you have one, <laughs> you really need to hold on to him as much as you can. So I think I think he's the kind of guy I, I, I'm ready to make that plunge with him. I think he's shown enough that he'll at least be a solid starting pitcher. He may not be an ace necessarily. We'll see. We'll see if it takes that, uh, continues to make progress. But uh, he's the guy I'd look at the first. Bobby Wood Jr., obviously. Um, again, I don't know if he's really in a position where he's going to be wanting to take that long-term deal. But if he's if he's willing to do seven years, $100 million plus, um, I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, other than that, I don't know. I think you still, you're still in wait-and-see mode, wait mode with a lot of these guys. I know you guys are high in this Vinny Pascantino. I am too. I love Vinny. Um, I, I do think he brings some intangibles with clubhouse vibe. Uh, I, I'm just really wary of guys that um, don't play high on the defensive spectrum, especially aren't good defenders. Uh, signing a guy to uh, a long-term deal when all when his only attribute really is hitting. Now, okay, he stole a base this week, but yeah, <laughs> but you know, I think we we have an example of a guy who is signed only for his bat and no defensive ability, and he's uh, a big albatross in the lineup every day. And his name is Hunter Dozier. Not saying Vinny's going to be Hunter Dozier. I think he's got a much brighter future. But if things do, you know, if he does have a bad year or two, I mean, I mean, I mean, what I'm saying is like he really has to hit to justify that contract, and I. I don't know if it's really worth uh, signing a guy like that to an eight-year contract or a seven-year contract, whatever it is. But I mean, we'll see. I, I, you know, the trade-off is, is 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 you know being more transactional, and uh, maybe you uh, you know see what you you know see uh, how he does, and then and you know maybe trade him a year or two before free agency, or maybe stick with him throughout the six years and just enjoy him while he's here. But um, so Singer and Witt, I think the only two guys right now. The rest of the guys kind of maybe let's wait a year and see see what they do. Fair enough. Uh, final thoughts tonight, Max. If you could snap your fingers and make one thing happen this offseason, what would you snap and do? That's a tough one. I think it's going to have to be something in the in like the front office, bringing someone over like a Brian Bannister. Who, yeah, I saw your Twitter exchange. That's pretty. <laughs> I say, bring hey, bring out the Stroud spread if that's what it takes to Hell get yeah. all the cinnamon yep. rolls, all the fixins. Get Bo Jackson on a recruiting call. That's yeah, what, that's what it takes to get Bandy back to Kansas City. I'm all for it, you know, or someone like that, or an Ever Tiford, who I know is really well regarded uh, in baseball. A Tommy Hotovy with the Cubs, someone like mm -hmm. that. Uh, or it doesn't have to be with someone with the Kansas City connection either, but someone who really knows what they're doing on the pitching side, who can uh, bring some a really good program to to develop these pitchers. I think that's going to be the most important development. I mean, I, I don't, and I, I'm not as smart as you and David Lusky and some of these other guys who who know some of the good names out there. But I think they really need someone who knows what they're doing and and can 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 find a a free agent and coach them up a little bit. And then we have the next Carlos Rodon or the next uh, Jacob June, you know, Jacob June is for, I know he had a kind of up and down season, but, you know, be able to turn guys that were, you know, let go by other organizations and turn them into something valuable. And that's what we really, we really need in Kansas city because we're just not going to be able to compete for the top free agents like other teams. I don't disagree with any of that. Yep. Max, thanks for joining us tonight. I really appreciate it. You, are you in a hotel right now? Or are you, I'm on the road. I'm in Washington, D.C., where they actually have a baseball team worse than the Royals. The Nationals are a pitiful embarrassment of a baseball team, which is ridiculous because they're a large market team, and, and I know they're for sale, but 
uh, just a pathetic team. And everyone's hats <laughs> here. So, uh, yeah, that's anyway, that's where I am. I'm heading back to Kansas City tomorrow. So I appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, I appreciate you taking time out of your vacation to, to, to talk with us, man. Thanks again. All right. Thanks a lot, man. All right, welcome back. We are now joined by Kevin O'Brien, the Royals reporter, at Royal Reporter Kev on Twitter. Does some of my favorite in-depth writing that I read on a daily basis or a weekly basis over the Royals is, is over there at the Royals reporter. It's some of the, the, the most in-depth, most detailed work that you can find on the Royals. I will say, like, Every morning, there's so much good Royals content out right now that every morning, you know, Craig Brown and David Lesky are in my inbox on Substack. And they're, and combined with Kevin, the ability to break down a week's worth of Royals and, and how deep they get into it. There's, there's not many people I enjoy reading more than Kevin's work at, like I said, RoyalsReporter.com. So, Kevin, thank you very much for joining us, man. Hey, thank you for having me on. And and like you said, it's like we have just so much great content out here. I remember when I first kind of started the blog, um, you know, there was, I mean, obviously like Royals Farm Report, Royals Review. And so, you know, just to be like, you know, to see all this great content, whether it's a podcast or a blog is great. And, and I just, you know, I just really enjoy writing. So thanks for having me on and letting me talk about the Royals. You know, it's just always fun to do, even in a season like this. So. <laughs> Speaking of a season like this, we I've been asking everybody the first thing that everybody has said when they came on the show tonight. If you could recap the Royal season and describe your thoughts on the season in 30 seconds, how would you do it? You know, I, I would probably be if, as say it was disappointing, but um, it ended on a hopeful note, right? And I, I you know, I, I don't think any of us thought this team was going to win or go to the playoffs or win 80 plus games just to see some progress. But, you know, I, I think one of the things that we've seen since the post 2015 uh, world series team is that this team has really underachieved. It seems like almost every year, whether it's 2016 or 20, 2018 when the blow up happened, or, you know, the only season that really didn't was 2021. And that was because of a good first month. You take away that from good first month and that team probably underachieved too. And so, uh, you know, we've, we've constantly been pumping ourselves up every year and we're constantly disappointed. And now we've finally seen some change with Dave Morgan, um, hopefully with Mike Matheny, Cal Heldred gone. So, um, you know, I, I think it's disappointing that it was another kind of punch in the gut. But at least now we kind of have some hope on the horizon. We talked to Jacob about this early on, and I, and I kind of want to get your thoughts on it. Preseason expectations were probably too high. Even even for the if if this team would have won seventy two games, you know another seven on top of what they didn't win, I still think expectations were too high. Even though seventy two wins, looking back at it, probably should have been reasonable. Whose fault is it that expectations were so high? Should Royals fans have seen this coming, or did the Royals? I think what I said earlier is pump gas in their own ass so much. I don't really know what I was trying to <laughs> Thank say. Thank God we drug that one back out. We needed. Um, <laughs> But whose fault is it that expectations were so high? And, I mean, who do we have to blame for this? I mean, I, I, th I think you got to put it on the front office. And, you know, you don't get guys like Carlos Santana. You, you don't get guys like Zach Greinke and, and Amir Garrett. If you're, saying, if you're just saying, hey, we're rebuilding, we're hopefully winning, you know, 71 games. I mean, I think we're 
putting it down because, you know, they were saying like, hey, these are the moves that are going to make us a playoff contender. Zach Granke wouldn't be coming here if he didn't think we could compete. And, you know, of course we found out. I was like, nah, he just wanted to have maybe his last year here in Kansas City. But, um, you know, so I got to put it on the front office. And if they're not lying, I think they were just kind of, you know, uh, in the – Denial. They were just in denial that, yeah, that's all we need is Carlos to turn it around. That's all we need is Hunter to go back to 2019. And so, and that's to me, is just like an inability to really understand where they were at as an organization. I was thinking about this, this earlier this week is the Royals in 2015. It took a bunch of guys hitting their best to create a team that won the world series. And I should go back to 2014. Even it took a lot of guys hitting their best seasons of their careers to get them to that point. But that's how you build a team. I'm not holding that against them. That's how you build a team is, Hey, we need guys to play well. It's not like an inherent negative. (laughs) I just think what ended up happening is going into 2022, the Royals looked at their roster and said, well, if everybody plays well, we'll have a great team. It's like, well, that's not how anything works. When you have a good team, of veterans who have been around and who have shown you they can play well, that yes, sometimes that happens and you win the World Series because of it. And sometimes when you have a young team of players who have not proven themselves over any stretch of the imagination in the in the brief history, then you get a team like this that almost loses 100 games. And so in some ways I agree with you. I think it is the Royals who sold us this bill of goods. To I don't know if they're trying to sell tickets. I don't know if they were trying to save their own bacon. I don't know what the deal was, but they clearly, I really do believe that they thought they would be way better than this. And in hindsight, I don't know how you could have thought that when I've said this before, the only move they made was to bring in Bobby Witt Jr. and go, okay, kids, save the day. But when it comes to Vinny Pasquantino, we don't want the young kids to feel too much pressure. Yeah. And and I don't, and I don't really get that either. And and it was kind of a weird balance, especially at the beginning of the year. Was it like it was kind of, oh, we just need one or two young guys to to take us over the top. And when it's like, well, what's the what's the problem with bringing up some of the other ones? And now we found out that like the other ones were what drove interest in this team. I, I think if we didn't have those guys, I think a lot of Royals fans would have been checked out back in July. But we kind of got interested because of Massey coming up and Pasquantino and Nate Eaton and you know, all these young guys. And so it, it's really just a shame. But like I said, we have a new new change and hopefully that, that change is going to continue to encourage that that young and development and always looking forward and not being stuck in that 2014, 2015 mode, which I think plagued the front office. Josh, I know we, we've talked about this a little bit before, but the next thing on this is this is a microcosm of a bigger conversation here in just a minute. But let's let's break it down to just MJ Melendez moving forward. If you had to give MJ Melendez one position, he can only play one position, not including DH. So he's got a position and he can DH. But what position are you letting him play moving forward? I think the value is in catching. Uh, The value not only in in himself, but also to take a little bit of workload off of Salvi. If we're eventually going to robot strike zones, I know you've talked about it uh, multiple times on the on the. Uh, on the Twitter um, that the value is in his framing or lack thereof is not going to matter because it's going to be automated strike zones. So if we can teach him to do everything else that a catcher is, you know, expected to do, his value is going to double, triple, 
exponentially increase uh, comparatively to him being in a corner outfield spot, which is still valuable. I mean, he's still got the athleticism to play out there, give him a few more reps and you can figure out a little bit more of what, what's going on uh, play to play. Um, but if we really want to increase the value of both him and Salvi at this point and keep them both in the lineup every day and consistently, then catching is probably where I'd want him to be. Kevin, what are your thoughts on that? Just with MJ. You know, I, I wrote a post about that and looking at three met, three metrics, and I did look at his uh, defensive run saved, and God, it's brutal to look. It <laughs> it's, his um, value. His, it's incredible how much it tanked his value this year. It, it really does because he's essentially replacement level, and where like if you watch him every day, you're like he's not a replacement level player. Mm-hmm. But I but I agree with you, Josh. Like I do think catch. We I think they need to at least give one more year for him to be a catcher, and it's like. And we have to see what his like what that two year sample is. And, you know, I don't think he's ever going to be a gold glove catcher. I don't. But I think if he can at least be somewhat like Kiebert Ruiz, who's like slightly below average, like he's a much better hitter than Kiebert Ruiz. He has more Mm -hmm. power potential than him. So it's like if he can just even get that up a little bit and. And I know part of it's framing, you know, I think his blocking and, you know, and an and arm will be a lot better next year. The tools are there. The arm strength is there. Um, yeah. So it shows in the, in the stat cast data, but um, you know, I would, but I, and like you said, with automated robo umps, you know, obviously his value will go up, but I, I, you know, I think he can move to the outfield and be average to above average. But I think, like you said, for value-wise, you got to power through it and just hope that he makes the adjustments to at least be somewhat average or slightly below. The other thing that's kind of encouraging is we saw Schwarber come up as a catcher. Everybody knew he wasn't going to be there long-term. They tried to shove him in first base. They tried to shove him in a corner outfield position, just bad all around defensively. And I think MJ still has plenty of value in the corner outfield. So it's seeing Schwarber and his – patience at the plate his power is is encouraging because i think melendez has both of those things and he's able to play defense so we just saw short return in a great season we saw mj melendez lead the minors in home runs last year and the he let off most like the most of the latter half of the season so if that's what we're getting out of mj at the if that's his floor then then his ceiling is very high for all of these reasons, and I seem to be in the minority here, which is why I wanted to start here really quick, and we got to get this conversation going because I know we're on a time crunch here, but I think I disagree. I think if I'm looking at MJ Melendez as a front office member, as a coach, Salvi's going to be here for a while, and he's not Salvi ain't going anywhere, and he's a very good catcher. With the way that Melendez's offense was up and down all year, dude, go play left field. Go play left field. Throw the ever-loving crap out of the ball from the outfield. Learn to play a position because the problem they have right now is they didn't put him in left field ever in the minor leagues. Mm -hmm. And so now you have a guy who at the big league level is trying to learn how to hit big league pitching, is trying to learn how to catch big league pitchers at an adequate level, and learn to play the outfield all at once, yeah. which is yeah. why I framed the question as pick one because he's there's too much on his plate. I don't think that it's crazy to think that if you were playing MJ in left field all along, he could have learned some of the slowly at low A, at high A, at double A, triple A, now the big leagues. But you're throwing it on him all at once at the big league level. 
I don't know how we expect this guy. What? Breaking news. The Royals fired Matheny and Eldred. Damn, already? Woo! Officially. Wow. Dude, it's 9.45. <laughs> the game ended wow. six hours. Not even six hours ago. It started six hours ago. Here you go. There you go. go. That's what I was trying to tell you guys earlier, by the way. I was like, Jacob was like, you can't fire Matheny yet. I was like, too late. I was like, I don't know what you're waiting for. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what you think is going to happen. I thought it would at least happen tomorrow at like noon. So yeah. anyway, there's that. But all they, things they considered. They booted him real, real quick. Yeah. Wow. So all things considered, like, why are we trying to teach a guy to do this all at the big league level right now? Yeah. So I'm on team. MJ, go play left field and be a freaking stud offensively. Go be Kyle Schwarber. Hit 40 mm. home runs. Be on base at a 360 clip and just be don't be terrible in left field. I I just think that you have enough catching depth in Rivero and Tresh and potentially Carter Jensen, who I think is also going to move off the position. Yeah. But I, I think with Salvi, you have bought yourself time to find yourself another catcher. By the way, when Salvi's a free agent, MJ's only going to have like a year or two left. So it's not yeah. like MJ's going to be the catcher for three, four years. It would be two years of MJ before you got to find a new catcher anyway if you're not going to extend him. So if you're going to extend him, then I'm okay letting him catch. But if your plan is, hey, we got six more years of MJ, throw him in left field. Just let him go hit because I'm, I I don't understand the process of, of moving them all around. But anyway, let's get back to the to the real point of that is you both think he should catch. Okay. If he's catching, Sal can't go play the outfield, which means now you need another outfielder. Is there value in Melendez playing left field because it fills out the lineup better? And if they don't put him in left field, who is your guys' outfield next year is my is the next question I wanted to get to. What does your outfield look like if it's not Melendez? I mean, you know, I, I as we kind of talked about it, I've gone back and forth and and I kind of like Melendez as a catcher mostly because it's like, hey, if we're gonna have trade value, that makes the most sense. Um but you know, when I wrote this in my in my article, you know, one of the really comparisons that I thought was really interesting is that you look at like Dalton Varsho of the Diamondbacks, who went from a pretty mediocre defensive catcher to a, maybe a borderline Gold Glove outfielder, and and he and if you look at Varsho's stats, they're very similar to um, to Melendez. Yeah, you know, two thirty five average but then like 302 443 27 home runs um so you know right now if you're going for the outfield to answer your question i mean i think it's going to be waters in center field i I think i I think that's going to be jj's number two priority now now that number one (laughs) number one priority has been taken care of already Um, (laughs) yeah so check off that list check that one off um i think you know, I, I, I'd like to see, you know, Edward Olivares, if he's healthy, get an opportunity in right field. And then I think when it comes to left or, you know, maybe in the corners, it's that combination of Nate Eaton or Kyle Isbell and left or right. So I think you're going to kind of see whoever hits the most is probably going to get the, the two corners. But I think you're going to see Isbell or Eaton in there because they provide such tremendous defensive value there. Um but I could also, I don't know. I mean, I could also see a free agent thrown in there. Like that's, I could see a cheap free agent being thrown in the outfield just because I could see them saying like, ah, I don't, I don't know if we want to throw three rookies out there. Um, so that would be really interesting as well. The the other part about that is if, if hypothetically speaking, Melendez is behind the plate, Vinny or Salvi's got to be DHing at that point. 
you got to figure out what to do with Vinny. He's got to go to first because he doesn't have any other versatility. That leaves Prado, who played left field, had some solid plays out in left field. So in that case, if we're playing every, all the young guys, if we're saying next year these guys have to hit, they got to get reps. Then you got to go Prado left field. I agree, Waters in center, and then Oliveras at right field. I think that's a pretty solid outfield, to be honest with you. Uh, I mean, obviously Prado needs some instruction out in left field, but I think Waters is a very capable capable defender, and when healthy, Oliveras is an all-around athlete. And if you have him in right field and also producing at the plate, that's a right fielder. I was thinking about Prado's value defensively and just – how much better he could make the infield being at first base. And, that, and that's part of where it plays into leaving Melendez in left field is yeah. you allow Prada to play his natural position and you allow Vinny to DH and just go hit. I just think I, – I wonder about Salvi's career because that is another piece of it that having – and I want to be clear, having versatility is great. And I wish Melendez could catch, play left field, and DH. The problem is you have never let him – figure it out at the minor league level. It's just like the highest stakes possible. Go figure it out, man. Like just, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just, the way they've handled it is so interesting to me. And I just, I don't want to say they've mishandled it. It's just odd. It's just odd the way they just never let him learn when there's no leverage, when there's no expectations, Mm -hmm. Um, but whatever. Um, Kevin, one question that we didn't get to ask Jared because he poo-pooed out on us. Is is who's going to be the manager if it's not like Alex Zumwalt? And we had a lengthy conversation with Marcus about what the manager is and the role the manager plays. But if, if you're hiring a manager right now, if you're the Royals, are you looking for someone to come in and be a coach and help the players get better like an Alex Zumwalt would do? Or are you looking for like a Joe Madden to come in, refresh the clubhouse, you know, manage the bullpen and and just kind of stay out of the way. Like, um, who was the guy? One of my favorite movie scenes ever is in 42 when they have to fire the manager because he's he's cheating on his wife and the evangelicals are mad at him. And they, what's the guy? Who did they bring in Jackie Robinson's rookie year? Who coached that team? Was it Grosher or no, the other guy? Um, I can't remember his name, but he, he comes in in a suit and he looks at Jackie, he goes, you Robinson? <laughs> it's just, it's a great scene. <laughs> it's a great scene because this coach comes in in a suit and tie, and he's like, "My I promised my wife I wouldn't manage. He's like, I'm just here to keep the peace. You guys go play ball. And I think that's, you know, I think that's that's something the Royals need. But, Kevin, what's your thoughts on the manager? I mean, I agree. I, I think getting big name – is overrated. And, and, and I think it's going to be a, more money than we probably would need or would have an impact. And, and, you know, I'm not a big Joe Madden guy. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure if there's any like veteran that's going to make a difference. You know, I think you want somebody that can one, like bring some fresh ideas to the clubhouse. I kind of look at like, for example, like a Gabe Kapler in San Francisco. It's, it's like Gabe Kapler is not just like, okay, he's, brings like a good positive energy in the clubhouse, but you know, he's kind of embraces a lot of those new ideas. Like he has like multiple pitching like coaches and you can just tell that he really utilizes those coaches really well. 
Um, you know, I'd like to see like a younger guy. I'd like to see, honestly, like one of my dreams, and I don't know if this would happen. I'd like to see a guy like an Ibanez or like a Beltron get a shot at it. I don't think those guys are going to like be any worse than Joe Madden right now in the Royals. And I just think, and it's, but I think what's going to matter more is the staff. Let's be honest, like the, what killed Mike Matheny was like that loyalty to like Cal Eldred and those guys, you know, and, and it can Ibanez or whoever manages his team bring in some more uh, fresh influence and fresh approach. I think that's that's what to me is matters the most. I mean, I, I love Pedro Gafal. I, I would like for him to get a shot. I, you know, I'd like to see that. But I also understand if they say, hey, we need a clean house. It We got to go everyone gone except for Zumwald if he wants to stay on as hitting coach. So that I think suck considering how many times they interviewed Grafal for that job. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for Grafal. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I mean, it, it's he should have been the, the manager the first time. That's just, or, yeah, absolutely. Can I just, can I just point out though that that dude's title is coach of the catchers and the Royals statistically, analytically, have some of the worst defensive yeah. catchers on the whole, in the whole league. <laughs> like, ironically enough, now I don't think I don't know if that's Pedro Grafal's part, but the Royals can't frame for shit and. Yeah, it's coming from the guy that was defending Cal Eldred for just uh, pushing the same narrative and the same instruction that the same bad instruction. That, that's, You're willing that's to the give thing, him the benefit of the doubt. I don't know how much Grafal has to do with any of this, right. but I do think it's funny that like the potentially worst coach on the staff is the guy we're like parading around. But I do think hiring <laughs> Zumwalt is potentially like a Gabe Kapler move. He's got front office experience, yeah, very analytically inclined, has been a part of a turnaround the hitting development. Um, we are to Josh's point, we are dragging this out like a lot. Um, Kevin, you get the final word of the night. If you could snap your fingers and make one thing happen this off season, now that Matheny and Eldred are gone, what are you doing? I mean, I think I'm, you know, I, I think that's the one, the one thing I'm looking at is, is like adding a big time pitching coordinator. I mean, I think that's, and also a big, another addition to like the, research and development team. I, I really, I really think if, if John Sherman is really serious about changing the perception that we're not data driven enough, then I'd like to bring in somebody who is, or more people that are, I mean, it, you know, he says that, Oh, we have the data, but you look at like the rankings from like down on the farm, you know, on their Twitter, it's like, we rank in the lowest when it comes to like, you know, those research and development team members. And if you look at the teams that are on the top of the league, they're the ones that are consistently good. The Rays, the Astros, you know, they're consistently good. Um, and so I think it's, I think if uh, Sherman wants to kind of prove to us that like, hey, like this is a new era, then we need to make this a new era and start hiring people that do embrace that mindset. I agree. Love mm-hmm. it. You know, the fun thing about all this stuff about, we keep talking about the Rays and the Guardians and all these teams that keep competing as small markets because they're developing and doing it like a long-term way. And I still go back to the Flanagan being like, it's all fine and dandy if they're always in it, but they never won it. It's like, that's not even remotely the point here. It's like, yes, that's great, but it would be great to be in it and not be out by June every year. Yeah. So I'm all for the long-term development uh, angle that they're uh, apparently shooting for now. Yeah. Well, heads are rolling. Dayton Moore, gone. Cal Eldred, gone. <laughs> Mike Matheny, gone. I cannot wait to log on to Twitter here in a minute and see the I memes know. that Seth is pumping out of the French Revolution. 
Um, <laughs> I can't wait. It's awesome. I'm going to log on to Twitter as soon as we get done. This has been fantastic. To Jacob Milham, the Royals Rundown Podcast, Jordan Foote, Inside Royals, uh, Marcus Mead, Royals Weekly, Max Reaper of Royals Review, Kevin O'Brien, the Royals Reporter, Joel Penfield, Josh Kaiser. I'm Alex Duvall. This has been incredible. We will be back in a couple of weeks. I'm trying to get a couple guests lined out. We're going to keep the off-season content rolling. Give us a couple weeks. We'll be back. We appreciate all of you. Don't forget, uh, I'm donating 33 cents per download to Royals Charities. If we get this, nobody's retweeting the tweet. So if this gets to 1,500 downloads, I'll bump that to 40 cents per download. So please, please, please download. Tell your friends. Uh, let's, go, let's make Royals Charities some money this offseason because the Royals have started their offseason. Things are uh, humming now that the season is over. We'll catch you all real soon. Stick around. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back. Thanks, guys. Good night, Canada.